Hey, I'm Scott Wood, host of The Interview Show. In a second, I'm going to be talking with Justin, the man behind the movie and TV series Dear White People. If you've never heard of Dear White People, that's okay. I'm going to play for you the trailer to the 2014 film. You're listening to Winchester University's only college radio station. Dear White People. The minimum requirement of black friends needed to not seem racist has just been raised to two. Sorry, but your weed man, Tyrone, does not count. Dear white people, please stop touching my hair. Does this look like a petting zoo to you? Mistress in, dating a black person to piss off your parents is a form of racism. The show is racist. Black people can't be racist. Racism describes a system of disadvantage based on race. But I don't see what the point is in blaming white folks for everything. I really don't see the issue. Never ran into any lynch mob. It'd be good to elect someone like you as school president. Someone else is running. Together, we can bring black back to Winchester. Yes! Who does Sam think she is? This like Spike Lee and Oprah had some sort of pissed off baby. I hope you make it all right. How do I feel about dear white people? It's blacker than thou propaganda from a bougie Lisa Bonet wannabe. Black people scare you? I listen to Mumford and Sons and watch Robert Altman movies. Like I'm black enough for the union. Lionel, please. You're only technically black. Sometimes I think the hardest thing to be in the American workforce is an educated white guy. They pay millions of dollars on their lips, their tans, Jay-Z tickets, because they want to be like us. Let's make it do what it do! You want to know why they used to call me Black Mitch? Absolutely. Nobody called you that. You've got no idea what they see when they see you. You've got a thing for Taylor Swift. I know, because my Mac picks up your Mac's library. Oh, so careful. You don't understand. Girls like me have to pick a side. I'm sick of your tragic mulatto bull. You can't say mulatto. Mulatto, mulatto, mulatto. Did somebody say mulatto? How would you feel if someone started a Dear Black People? No need. Mass media from Fox News makes it clear what white people think of us. Your hair. So cute. Is it weaved? Weaved. It's weave. Noun. Present tense. Racism is over in America. Well, the only people who are thinking about it are Mexicans, probably. Welcome to the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. I am sitting in a beautiful room in the Fairmont Springs Hotel in Banff with Justin. How do you say your last name? Simeon. I'm sitting with Justin Simeon. How would you like to say hi? Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. It's great being in like the Xavier Mansion with you, right? This is like such a, well, I don't know. It's either Xavier or it's like Hogwarts, but I like it a lot. We're in a castle. We are literally in a castle. It does feel like Professor X is in the basement using Cerebro. Yes. Which mutant from the X-Men team would you want to come right now and be like, we need your help? Well, I would not want any version of it from the movies, no shade, but I would love for Storm to come up in here with that black bikini situation from the 80s. You know what I'm talking about? The little flat cape. That I would love to see in real life one day. So I'm here for that. Do you have something in mind or... No, you don't. I wish I was in control and could make that happen. Uh, okay, fine. All right. Well, I guess we could keep going anyway. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it. So, Dear White People, it started as an indie movie in 2014. You turned it into a TV series. What was it like going from a story that you intended to have a beginning, middle, and end to something that's open-ended? 
Well, you know, the, the movie was open ended, and it, it's sort of what it was an ensemble. It's an ensemble film, and the note you always get when you try to be Robert Altman is it's really episodic. So I already knew that you know it had more to to do. And one of my favorite ways to end a movie like that is sort of in an ambivalent place because that's how life is. And even though we've gone through a journey and some folks have had happy endings, not everyone did. And I think there were a lot of questions at the end of that movie, certainly a lot of questions in the Q and A's for me about that movie, the ending of it. So it was honestly, it was like scratching an itch that I had. Like I, I had so much more to say. And the conversation about race changed so radically between the making of the movie and its release that there was literally so much more to get into than there just was before. Can you talk about one thing, one thing you wanted to tackle in a TV series that you didn't even think to address in the movie? Oh, wow. Well, I think the, you know, when I wrote the movie, it was coming, it was a place where it was still really taboo to talk about race in America. Like, black folks would talk among themselves, but you really couldn't have conversations like that because it was Obama's second term. And literally, people just couldn't see racism anymore. It was really, among liberal people, it was like talking to a wall. You just, it felt very awkward to even bring it up. And by the time the movie had come out, you know, the Black Black Lives Matter was in full swing. Suddenly, race, talking about race. And Particularly the unarmed, you know, the shooting of unarmed black teenagers, uh, which unfortunately, you know, was so prolific, is so prolific in our country. Um, it was just all over the place, and suddenly we were in this so-called identity politics place where people were kind of sparring back and forth, but not really listening to each other, and totally unaware of their mutual histories. And that was suddenly a whole new arena to have these conversations in. And and I think the show has kind of consistently taken place in, in that particular version of, of things. So like you said, the movie ended in a bit of an ambiguous place. I love movies that end that way as well. Which story were you most looking to jump into and move forward with from the movie? Um, well, the big question was like, does Sam end up with the white guy? <laughs> uh, does she, you know, does this sort of black power girl, does she really end up with that guy? And how is that going to work? You know, that was a big question. Like literally in every Q&A, somebody had that question. And, you know, we tackled it right away in, in the first episode. And in, in a lot of ways, we're still still kind of dealing with it because, you know, one of my favorite plot lines is when Gabe is sort of like, you know, he feels uh, as if he's kind of being, you know, there's a lot of prejudice against him because he's the only white guy in the group. And whether or not, however you feel about that, I just thought it was so fun to, like, be able to really just play with the difficulty of that and his integration into that group and Sam's sort of integration of herself. You know, she's a biracial girl who identifies as black, but there that means that there are aspects of herself that she had to kind of not really look at. And in the show... You know, we get to really go there. We get to look at them. I mean, one of the most touching storylines is, you know, Sam going home. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the second season, but uh, losing her, um, her, her father. And I just, oh, that was just one of the best stories we ever told, you know. One of the things that I appreciate that I think is really ambitious about the television show is that you structure it very, very uniquely. Each episode focuses on one main character building up to the final episode of each season. Yeah, uh, and this season is totally different than that because, <laughs> I don't know, I get bored. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the whole it is, it is still very structured in the sense that we are very strictly in one point of view at a time, uh, even in this new season, um, where, you know, I really want you to be in the shoes of these people. And I don't want to just cut from one storyline to another. Someone has to take us there. Um, I, that was so important to me because I just felt like 
getting inside, getting behind the eyes of these characters was the whole point, you know? And uh, I just thought that was a really fun kind of device and sort of like parameter to give ourselves creatively. And it really, really, I think, worked for those first two seasons. And, you know, we've tweaked it a bit for the third season. And, and, I, and, I, and I really, I'm excited about the results. I cannot wait to hear what people think about it. So given that this was your first TV show as a showrunner, that was really ambitious. Was it difficult for you to construct whole seasons around, okay, I have to have two episodes about Sam, two episodes mm-hmm. about all the other characters? Can you talk about the challenges of doing that? The story part is not hard for me. Um, it's, it's not easy, okay? Like, it's challenging and it's hard work and all this stuff, but that's the stuff I love. That's the stuff, please. I can show up, you know, just got out of bed and we can talk about the story structure. The hard stuff is the management of so many people. I mean, a show is just a train. It's a moving train, and you're at the head of that train. And if you're not looking at the track, okay? I love analogies. You can just go right off and, and crash into a mountain or something. There's a lot of mountains here. Uh, so I'm thinking about them. But you know, that to me was the hardest part. It's just the managing of my 34, at the time, 34-year-old burgeoning self <laughs> as an artist making this independent film and suddenly being at, like really at the head of an army of people all looking to you for a lot of answers that, I don't know, I, don't, I just heard the question. I have no idea. Make it blue, you know. Um, that was the more challenging part. The actual, like, getting to figure out how do we take these personal stories or these big concepts and turn them into pop culture, that's, that's what I've been wanting to do my whole life. I've been chomping at the bit to do that my whole life. So that part actually came pretty easy, to be honest. So I'm a big fan of TV. I'm sure you are as well. And as a fan of TV, sometimes you fall in love with a show, and then it will make a decision in season four where you're like, what? Why? I'd love you to talk a little bit about that. I'm not trying to get you to to, to slam any show, yeah, but yeah. the next question I'm going to ask is now that you're behind the scenes, you're making those shows, yeah. I want to see the other perspective. So let's do part one and then go to part two. Well, the thing I, especially in the Netflix era and especially post Breaking Bad, I really hate arriving at a third or fourth season and everyone's the same. Or that there's some kind of reset, you know, like you're always kind of in the season, oh, they're finally going to do it, whatever it is. And I haven't say seen the, the new season of Handmaid's Tale, but I was so, oh God, just get out of there, you know. And it was really important for me, especially in a third season with these characters who are at a young, volatile age where your personality is in constant flux. It was really important for me to see them grow and evolve and take on unexpected personality traits and to discover parts of themselves that they've been avoiding their whole lives and to get into that stuff, you know. And so for me, there, there's this old adage, like any book you read on TV or any class you take, it says that the characters can't change. They cannot overcome their problems in the TV show or else the TV show has to end. Breaking Bad showed us that that isn't necessarily true. Breaking Bad showed us that a character can change over time. Um, and I just have an appetite for that now. I really, I hate showing up for a fourth season and it's the same as the third season or the second season. You know, one of the things, I love Sex in the City. Every time I had a breakup or a new romance or whatever, I would watch it from start to finish. It's fine. And the thing that I love about that show is that relationships evolved, people evolved, characters changed. At the core, they were the same personalities, but the situations were, they weren't afraid to change things up. And uh, and we certainly go for that with some gusto this season. And, and 
Um, I think the only thing stopping other shows from doing it is just fear. I mean, the conventional wisdom is you shouldn't do that. But I think in an era where you kind of watch a whole season in a couple days, like, it's just not satisfying to watch the same sort of seven-hour movie each year. <laughs> you know what I mean? I really treat each season as its own kind of story, isolated story. Sure, it's serialized from the season before, but it really is its own thing. And that's, I think that's how we keep it fresh. It is a difficult dance, though, because you want to change them, but not so much so that the fans fall out of love with them. That is true, um, but I don't even think about that. I'm sorry, fans. I love you so much, but I don't think about the fans um, because I'm the fan. Like, I think the fans are responding to the thing I'm responding to because like, I literally am the same fanboy. Like, I watch Atlanta, and I watch Insecure the way people watch this show. And so I, you know, I want to see them be true to who they are at their core, and I think if I do that it's still very satisfying. And uh, just the, the tone of the show and, and making sure it's still funny and satirical and that we're using our satire to attack something in particular, those kinds of rules seem to be working for us and then keep the show satisfying, even as we kind of like tweak some of the other stuff. Um, and, you know, I think this season, all the tweaking we did, I think, really gave pe- gives people more of what they wanted which is more depth to everyone. They wanted to just keep going deeper and deeper, and they wanted more of those, those other characters, you know, besides the main four, and I think, I think we did that. Can you talk about one side character who gets a little bit more light, Sean, on them? Brooke. Brooke is front and center this season, and boy, oh boy, uh, is everyone lucky. Courtney, uh, Courtney Sauls, who plays Brooke, who was sort of like the other black person on the newspaper staff with Lionel and his kind of sometimes nemesis. Um, yeah, she's really front and center this season. And, and how people receive her uh, and, and receive her, like, ascent at this school is um, really interesting to watch because not everyone's as big a fan of Brooke as I or the audience is <laughs> in the world of the story, of course. So I'd love you to tell me about a time where you wanted to go big with a scene, but your line producer comes back to you and says, no, you have to do this now walking down a hallway. <laughs> that luckily has not happened. Um, there was one, the finale of season one, where we had like the big protest outside and the sort of like chaos inside. That, we landed on the last day of the shoot, like that's not possible with the time we have. And uh, so that took some hard thinking. But, you know, I made the first movie for a million dollars. I made it in 20 days, 19 days. We had two weeks of pre- Everything after that is kind of luxurious to me. Like, if you give me a problem with budget, usually, to me, the creative solution is always better than what we had in the beginning anyway. So I kind of look at stuff like that as sort of like, you know, it's, it's not a bug. It's actually like a feature. <laughs> so can you get specific about maybe season two, where you had to find a creative solution? Yeah, actually, you know, the episode uh, where... Um, Gabe and Sam are in the radio station, which I think is one of the best episodes we ever did. It began as a budget solution, you know, because we needed a bottle episode. And a bottle episode um, in TV parlance is an episode where you have an existing set and existing characters. You don't need to hire additional actors. There's no, like, guest parts. There's no additional sets, whatever. And um, that ended up being one of my favorite episodes. I mean, we did it like a play. We got to shoot it in chronological order because it was all in one room. Like I said, it was a, it was, it was a seemingly a bug that was actually a feature. I think without that episode... Um, you know, I, I don't know that season two would have had its punch. And I think that conversation between Gabe and Sam is the kind of conversation all of us want to have. But we don't know how. And it was just a tremendous opportunity to do that. Dear White People is not only the title of the show, but it's also the title of a radio show within the show. Community radio, campus radio is kind of in an interesting place in Canada. I don't know how it is in the States, but I'd love you to talk about the, com- the importance of alternative media in your life. 
well, I listen to KPCC in Los Angeles, which is sort of my ind- it's the independent news station. It's kind of all I listen to. Uh, and I think that, yeah, there's something authentic about um, that kind of media uh, that's not owned by some giant corporation that is not about just making money. Uh, it is really about doing the job, which is informing the electorate, which is the role of the news. And uh, yeah, so I think it's actually very important because there's really, in America at least, there's nowhere else to really get that. You kind of have to watch like the BBC to get like unbiased sort of. Bias isn't even the thing. It's that news is entertainment now. You know, it, it has to have an entertainment uh, quality to it. So the stories that are being told, the way those stories are being told, you know, you, you turn on the news now and you're just watching people talking about something for hours. No one agreeing, no new information. And I don't have time for that. So for me, like public radio literally is my lifeline to what's going on in the world. It's really the only thing I trust. Um, and I don't know. I felt like there was something about the radio, which is, I think some people think of as old fashioned, but especially because of podcasts and things like it, there is this resurgence of like talk media and, and just listening to people having a conversation or a book on tape or even now plays on tape. That is, I don't know. I, I don't even know that that was like a conscious decision. I, I just sort of felt that when, you know, sort of putting Sam White together and, you know, here I have a podcast, you have a podcast, everybody has a podcast now. <laughs> Seems that way these days. It definitely does. So um, the series was renewed for a third season back in June 2018. You're here to promote it. I assume it's going to be dropping on Netflix soon. Yeah, it will be dropping on Netflix soon. When? I have no idea. But soon. <laughs> this year. So season three is usually when most TV shows kind of hit their stride. I'd love you to talk about the biggest challenge of season three for you. I think the biggest challenge was how do we make it personal, even though this is now, you know, I've been doing Dear White People since 2005. The movie got made in, for, in 2014, but I've been writing this thing and working on it and trying to get it made. So how do we keep it personal? How do we keep it fresh? And how do we outdo ourselves? We really tried to outdo ourselves in season two. And season three, it was well, how do we do it again? You know, that was the challenge. But I think that always, for me, is the challenge, is when I show up for a new job, how do I do it better than I did the last one? And uh, it was an invigorating challenge. I mean, it's sort of, it's what we all sort of love about the show is like, I think um, for me, running a show is about really creating space for people to do their best work because everyone is there because they're supremely talented at what they do. This is not sort of my dictatorship, you know. Um, this is a place to to get something from my collaborators, and uh, that's what I really try to do. And, and I think that's why the show continues to feel so personal. Uh, and and why the show continues to surprise me, you know. Without giving away any spoilers, what are you the most proud of that happened in season three? Oh, I'm so proud of the directors we had this season, truly. Um, We had a a bunch of uh, brand-new black female directors, um, Tiffany Johnson, uh, Sam Bailey, really just knocked it out of the park. Cheryl Dunyer, who's a veteran, a legend, um, first black lesbian to ever make a feature film ever in the 90s, which is nuts, uh, directed on the show. Um, Sally Richardson Whitfield directed on the show. Everyone just brought the heat, man. You know, I did a couple episodes, but our guest directors were where I was at. Justin Tipping is another emerging director. Stephen Shishida, who's kind of one of our veterans. Like, really, these these directors are doing amazing work on TV. They're doing cinema on TV, and they're doing things with the scenes that I wouldn't have thought to do, which is the most exciting thing because I get to sort of, like, do my thing. And, you know, my thing is always like, well, 
how do I do it different than how people expect it? And then I get to sit back and watch these amazing filmmakers do the same thing to me with my show. That, honest to God, was like the best part. So can you take one of these directors and tell us about one of their previous works that you really enjoy? So uh, Tiffany Johnson is um, an up-and-coming black female director who has done some shorts that I've seen. Uh, She did um, a short called Marabou with Latrice Royale from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, She also did something, oh gosh, what was the name of it, with one of, uh, Mia, the girl who plays uh, Kelsey in the show. Uh, They did this sort of like noir, sexy, kind of like girls who murder for fun kind of short film. She just has, she's sort of like the, the director I would watch you know what I mean like just as a as a fanboy like I love what she does we have similar sort of tastes she loves Fosse she loves Kubrick she loves all the Fellini you know she loves cinema um but she's just such an original and uh even though she hasn't done a feature or hasn't done a pilot man her episode came out so great and she just has a lot in her I could see her doing some really big pop cultural things that are smart and funny and new And the same is true for all of them. Uh, But since you asked for one, that's the one I'm going to give you. So, dear white people, you have shot and completed season three. University degrees, typically four years. If you do get a season four, does that, will that include a graduation? I don't know. It depends on the story. It it really, it's always like, what do I want to say? And what do we want to say? And what's going on? And does a graduation plotline make that interesting? I don't know. Maybe we meet them in, in grad school. Maybe we meet them in the real world. I don't really know. I know that like um, following my instincts and trying to be authentic and trying to really listen to the culture, are, those are my jobs before a new season. And I'll, I'll keep doing that. And almost inevitably, when the new season comes out, there is some ver- there's some aspect of that reaction that gets me so inspired uh, for the next season. Uh, whether it was, a you know, all of the crazies that came out over the title on Twitter that was sort of berating me and the accounts and stuff, that, I think, turned into a fantastic season two. Uh, I'm curious to see just what the reaction will be. Well, awesome. Since you bring that up, can you talk about some of the reaction from season two and how it affected season three? Yeah, I mean, the reaction from season two was just a real... Like, people love that we went deep and dark. And um, people love the ancillary characters. And the times when we sort of, like, broke format. You know, there's a, there's a film noir episode where Lionel and uh, Brooke are walking around trying to solve a mystery. Um, the fans really love when we kind of do that. And so, you know, this season was kind of like, well, let's do it every episode. <laughs> let's, let's, let's really, like, find the unexpected in each episode And, you know, again, we tweaked the format a little bit and we brought other characters to the forefront that have typically been more supporting. And, um, you know, it was really like, I won't call it fan service, you know, because the fans wanted the same things we sort of secretly wanted too um, in the writer's room. So really was that was a, a more positive version of the reaction leading to a new season. Justin, thank you very much for sitting down and spending some time with me today. This was a very pleasant conversation. Thank you. Hey, I'm Scott Wood. We're going to end this episode with a song I'm going to play for you, Love and Hate by Michael Kiwanuka. Thanks for listening. Standing up, calling all the people here to see the show. Calling for my demons not to let me go. I need something, give me something wonderful. I believe she won't take me somewhere I'm not supposed to be. I 
Bye. 